Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast, Season 3. I'm Rob Shear, the founder of Comfort Cases and your host. Together, we have made such a difference in the world. We've met with leaders and change makers in the foster care system. We've met with charities and philanthropists, celebrities, authors, and so much more. We'll continue to bring you guests who will share how together, as a community, we can bring about change. Welcome once again to Fostering Change. You know, it's hard to believe that half of the year is over and we are absolutely humbled and grateful for all that we have when it comes to fostering change and when it comes to comfort cases. You know, I've spent the last six months talking to some amazing people. And once again, I am so happy to have this next guest. This next guest, who I do consider my friend, which is York Bradshaw. York is actually the founder of what they call the Urban Hunger Project. Now, before I bring York on, I, I want to say a couple of things when it comes to talking about the word hunger. You know, for me, um, I have in food insecurities, and I think it's because of what I went through as a child. And I think that we we have more food insecurities within our country and within our world than we have ever experienced in our lifetime. And that's why I'm so excited to have York on, because we're going to talk about that. And there's some stories that I'm going to repeat that I actually talk, wrote about in my book, but something something that some of you don't know. So York, welcome to Fostering Change. Thanks so much, Rob. Delighted to be here. You know, York, I was reading your bio and I, I, I've known you for a while now, but the one thing I did not know is that you actually were a professor of sociology. I was. My, my background is really the academic world. So I was professor of sociology and then I went into academic administration and was the dean of arts and sciences at a couple of places. So my background is very much uh, academia. That is unbelievable. So, you know, where I, I think that each and every one of us have a, a calling and and, you know, and when it comes to you, you know, putting people before your yourself and that's exactly what you've done. I mean, I, I've known about you. I know about, you know, so many things that you have helped. And, you know, that comes from something. Where did where did that start from? You know, I think it for me, it started early. I had parents that really talked a lot about helping others. And I was exposed to really good role models early on. And uh, I think I've just been really fortunate to be connected with a lot of people. And then to have a career where I could really, you know, study the human condition and teach and work with people, do research different places. And then finally, at some point, say, you know, I really want to go out and take this and, and try to make some changes in the world. Yeah, change is exactly what we need, my friend. It's exactly what we need. So right, I want to jump right into it about the Urban Hunger Project. Now, you actually are feeding people who are experiencing homelessness within one of the most impoverished cities that we have in our country, which is Baltimore City. I will tell you that I have a connection with Baltimore City because of my fifth son. You know, he actually is from Baltimore, and I am very, very, you know, experience when it comes to what we see within Baltimore City. Um, one of the things that that really took me back a little bit is that, you know, you, I partnered up with you, you were at an event where we were actually giving sandwiches. And I was pretty absolutely shocked at the number of people that were experiencing homelessness. Can you let our viewers and listeners know of exactly what Baltimore City is like when it comes to that? 
Sure, Rob. It's, um, you know, Baltimore City, as you said, is one of our most challenged cities in terms of homelessness and hunger. I think officially they say there are 2,200 homeless people in Baltimore, but we know that's a real underestimate. And probably at least 25% of the population has some type of food insecurity. That's 150,000 people, if you think about it. Every night, 150,000 people who may not have eaten or certainly haven't eaten very much over the last few days. Um, each weekend, Saturdays and Sundays, we serve hot meals in, as you said, one of the most challenged areas of the city. And we're just really saddened and kind of blown away by the number of people who come through our line who say, you know, I haven't eaten for, you know, for two or three days. I've eaten nothing. And you can tell. I mean, we serve them hot food. We, we take great pride in the type of food we serve. And before they can even move out of the line, they're just, they're just diving and eating because they're, they're really so hungry. And we see people of all ages, from children on up into their 80s. We see people coming through it on crutches and wheelchairs. And so this is, this is really a huge problem, not just in Uganda or Zambia, you know, but right here in Baltimore. Yeah, you know, that's the thing that's a little bit shocking for people mm -hmm. is that, you know, I do expect to hear about this in, in other countries, but I to hear about this in the United States of America, you know, where we spend billions and mm -hmm. billions of dollars on just things that are just not needed. The fact that we cannot feed our people is just, it blows my mind. You know, York, I have to tell you, um, one of the things when the pandemic hit, you know, I, I truly believe that this brought more light um, to everything than we've ever seen before. And again, you know, I, I understand experiencing homelessness. I was a kid who was homeless. I, you know, I understand what it means to not have a meal. I know what it was like to go to the McDonald's and um, steal ketchup packages. Mm. And I would actually eat those ketchup packages because that's all I was going to have. You know, I understand that. But when it came to COVID, you know, and really shining light upon this, you know, my family in the beginning of COVID, as things were moving, you know, through and we realized we weren't coming out of this, you know, March, April, May, you know, my my ex first reaction was, what can I do? You know, how can I do something? What can I do? How can I help somebody? You know, and so that was like the very first thing that I actually thought about. And so what we did was my family said, let's put some sandwiches together. You know, let's make some sandwiches. Never did I realize that we would make, I mean, we made hundreds of sandwiches in our kitchen. Um, but I, I watched my children as they did that work and realizing that, you know, food insecurity is real. What do you think the percentage of people throughout our country are experiencing that? You know, I think it's the same thing. I think, you know, Baltimore is not unusual in terms of what's going on. So I think across the country, you, you'll see, you know, 20 to 25% of the population is food insecure. And as you indicated, a lot of those are children. So I think this is, this is really, it's really a food emergency in many ways. And the pandemic has worsened it. The current recession has worsened it. And we really see people, you know, just really living on the margins. And I think that's what's, that's what's hard for people to realize. Again, unless you're experiencing it yourself. And, and more and more people are. And that's and that's a, a sad thing, but again, really a call to action, as you say, and really a chance for people 
um, you know, like your family. And I saw your family making those, all those sandwiches, the photos and, and everything. And it's, it's really a chance for people to get out and to get involved and to do something, you know, for some organization or with some organization, you know, to really make a difference in, in the area of food. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, by the way, York. I think that, you know, as a community, somewhere along the way, we have forgotten what communities were built for, and they were to take care of each other, you know, and I, I truly believe that each and every one of us, we have a story and things impact us because of other stories we hear. And one of the reasons that I really wanted to make you sure that you were on our program is, you know, as I said, you know, in my house, we call it the hamburger helper rule. And my husband knows we don't need hamburger helper. But for me, I have to have a certain number of boxes within my cabinet because the fear of a bare cabinet is a fear that my stomach will be bare. And I remember, I, I still, you know, at 55, I still remember what that felt like to be hungry, you know, and I'm not talking. And by the way, everybody, I know you're listening and you're thinking, you know, well, I, I was I was hungry today. Yeah, I'm hungry today too, by the way. I'm not talking that kind of hunger. I'm talking about the hunger that fills within your gut like you have never felt before. You know, where at, at times it's like, it's literally, you can't even be mobile um, when it comes to that. And you can, and, you know, they say you feed the feed the stomach, it feeds the brain. Um, that is a true thing. I mean, you're you're my professor. Don't you agree with that? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, hunger, hunger impacts every part of us. I mean, how can a child go to school hungry and learn? How can they pay attention? Um, you know, how can they be well behaved? I mean, you know, all of us, if we start to get just a little bit hungry, as you notice, our behavior begins to change, right? But just imagine day after day you know, feeling that way. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's totally debilitating. You know, I was kind of shocked when, you know, I love the fact that when COVID was happening, we opened up our lunch rooms for all children to receive free lunches, free breakfast. And by the way, we were able to do that. And we were able to budget that in as people always, it's all about the budget, budget that in. And, you know, I truly think that it gave children an opportunity to learn like they've never learned before. And again, I understand the critics that are going to say, well, wait a minute, my child was learning through Zoom for a year. So were my five children. Um, but I do know that when they were back in person and, you know, my children are, are fortunate enough that they didn't have to worry about that. But I guarantee you. I guarantee you that there were children in the lines of with my children who that was their one opportunity for a meal, literally their one opportunity for a meal. And I think that we as humans, you know, if we can't get anything right, at least we can get let's feed our children better than we do today, you know, better than we do today. You know, York, I want to know, um, what does the Urban, you know, Hunger Project do in light of these concerns that we're sitting here talking about? Right. Yeah, Rob, what we try to do is really, is really three things. One is we try to provide hot meals to people on the street in, in, in challenging neighborhoods. We also take food out, um, into homeless encampments, you know, there are more and more tents and homeless, um, you know, kind of tented cities growing in Baltimore. We, tra- they, we take food there as well. We also deliver food in, in, in neighborhoods that are very poor to families, to housing communities, 
of both um, non-perishable food and hot food as much as we can as well. The third thing we try to do is to really try to connect people up with organizations and agencies that can help them. We see a lot of people that come through our line that have substance use issues, that have you know, mental health challenges, and we like to feed them, but we would really like to do something more. So we try to connect them as much as we can with, with organizations and agencies you know, which can help them. And one of the things that makes me the most happy is whenever we connect someone with, say, you know, a substance use center, and they come back a month or six weeks later and say, you know, do you remember me? They'll often say, do you remember me? And usually I will. And, um, and then they'll start telling their story, you know, remember whenever you sent me there or took me there and, uh, you know, I'm okay now. And we even had one, one young woman that came through. And so I said, well, no, I'm so happy. This has made my day, my week. And by the way, would you like some food? Because she used to come through and get food. And she looked at me and said, no, I'm good. So I thought, wow, that's really cool, huh? Wow. How rewarding. You want to talk about, you know, yeah. I say all the time, it's going to make your heart smile. That truly <laughs> makes your heart smile. You know, I, yeah. I, I love the fact that you, you talk about the, that, you know, there's so many more services that people need who are experiencing homelessness that actually got them to that point. And I think that there are more people that are one paycheck away from standing in that line, you know, where you're serving these meals. You know, one of the things that I, um, I, I have a quick question. Where, where do you actually cook these meals at? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have a, a really large and dedicated crew that, that cooks uh, food for us out on Wednesday night and Saturday morning and Sunday morning very early out in Hanover. It's at um, St. Martyr or St. Lawrence Martyr Catholic Church out in Hanover, Maryland, and, and they do a fabulous job, you know, cooking for us. And then that's supplemented also by just volunteers who cook some at home, again, some that come in at other times. So we have a lot of food that's given to us um, along the way. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Listen, everybody, we're going to take a quick break here, but I really want you to go and go to urbanhungerproject.org. You know, the fact that I say this to you all the time, yes, my friend York is helping those who are experiencing homelessness in Baltimore City. But I, I repeat, your community is not your zip code. It's not. It's your human race. So what affects people in Baltimore City, I'm telling you right now that it's affecting your town as well. We'll be right back. This episode of Fostering Change is sponsored by Comfort Cases, a national nonprofit that inspires our communities to bring hope and dignity to our youth that are in foster care. For just $10 a month, you can support the Comfort Case mission and help us eliminate trash bags for kids who are entering foster care. For every $10 that you give, Comfort Cases will give a Comfort XL to a child entering the system. Be part of the change. Visit comfortcases.org. We all know that, you know, going over Zoom, there's going to be glitches. So during the first half, you saw my screen go out a little bit. And that for I do apologize and hopefully will not happen at the as we wind up fostering change. Listen, York, you know, one of the things 
I have to tell you, I, I love what you do. You know, here you are, a professor who could have easily, you know, taken retirement if you wanted to do whatever, but instead you you want to, to embrace your community and really build it. I love the fact that you truly get your community involved, and that's so, so important. I think that it's so important that we educate our community about what's going on, and then we give them the tools to help change it. And that's what you've done with the Urban Hunger Project. So I have to ask you, how do you get your funding? <laughs> That's a good question. We get our funding through, um, through private donations, people of all walks of life. And actually, I have a really cool story to tell you about our, our latest donation. So we had, um, I got a, a email from the president of an elementary school band boosters program. And I know her. And she said, by the way, we had a big fundraiser this year. These are elementary school music students. And they raised, um, they raised about $2,000 and they voted to give one half to the music program and then one half to a charity. So they researched what charity to give it to and they ended up giving it to Urban Hunger Project. So she said, I have a check for uh, close to $1,000 for you. These, these are elementary school children that, that research this and they've, they've probably never been to the areas that we serve, and there they are donating money to us. Um, so we're e eternally grateful to all the people that do donate. We're 100% um, donation-based. Uh, we're a volunteer organization, so uh, we always appreciate donations and support of, of any kind from people. I love that. And I, you know, I do believe that kids helping kids is how the world is going to change. And we know that there are a lot of children that are standing in that line that you um, have been feeding. So you've served more than over 100,000 people in Baltimore, 100,000 people. When did you start this project? We started, you know, we started during the pandemic. We started 18 months or so ago. I was part of a group that was that was already feeding people. But it started to get to be so big during the pandemic because so few organizations were out there because they were being told to shut down. So as a lot of groups were shutting down, we decided to start. Um, probably not the best business model, but it, it worked for us. And so we really started during the pandemic, uh, first of all, serving bag lunches, and then going to hot lunches. And I have to say Baltimore in the early stages of the pandemic was, was almost like a ghost town, except for, you know, the homeless population. We would drive down, and it was very easy to find homeless people because who else was in downtown Baltimore at the time that everyone was sheltering? So we started then, and we're very grateful that we've been able to, uh, to continue and to grow beyond that. So yeah, we're about 18 months old. That's amazing. That's amazing. But it's so sad that you've had to feed over 100,000 people and have to feed them on donations that, you know, again, you know, we as a country should be taking care of each and every one of the people who need us. And, and these people truly do need us. You know, that was one of the things you talked about the ghost town. That was one of the things that my kids talked about as we were driving home and reflecting on the day that we spent was, you know, we, we knew it was a pandemic. I will tell you, we didn't realize that it was as big as it is, as it had become, but we were, you know, 
kind of shocked that, you know, here we were masked up, gloved up, you know, staying the six feet distancing. And here you had a population of people that probably really a lot of them weren't aware what, how, and you know, intense was going on within our country and within our world at that time. Um, you know, I feel like these are a, a, a group of humans that we just feel like we can forget. And that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, I, it's it's totally true. I mean, early on when, as, you know, just reflecting on what you were saying, when we would go down, I mean, I'm really not exaggerating at all. We would pass corners and and be out of food and be sad. And we'd literally see grown men, you know, standing on the corner crying because they were just so hungry. And signs out there where, you know, a woman had a sign and she said, I'm hungry, you know, for real, you know, and out just stopping the few cars that were coming by because a lot of the, the you know, the, the shelters and places like that were closed down or at least severely reduced in terms of their capacity. So yeah, it was, I, I've seen a lot of poverty in Africa and other places. And I was thinking no place was as bad as Baltimore um, during those days. And I still see that every week. And we try to say to people, you know, to our volunteers, remember everyone coming through is a person, no matter, you know, what their situation is, no matter how, you know, high they might look on drugs or whatever, they're all people, they all have souls and we need to, we need to take care of them the best that we can. Um, we, we can't save everyone. We know that we're not trying to say that we do, but we can at least provide them with, with some food and some encouragement and hope that we can make some difference in their lives as they go forward. York, you said it, you know, you absolutely said it. Each and every one of them have a soul and each and every one of them is a person. And that to me is so, so important that we realize, you know, you know, through this, this season, you know, we've had these amazing people on like my friend York, we, you know, talking about how we can truly impact our community. How can we make a difference? You know, even this small little time that we're together, and I, I am so absolutely humbled that people tune in, they listen to our podcast, they really take some valuable information away. And I hope that what do people take away today? is exactly what York just said. Exactly what York just said. No matter what someone is experiencing, you know, no matter what you think about when you pull up to that stoplight and you try not to make eye contact, you know, that's a person. That's a person, you know. And I say this, and I say this to my kids, my husband and I preach this over and over again. Maybe I, maybe you're not like the shears and you carry a snack bag in your car so you can hand it to somebody who's standing at the corner. You know, I don't have cash. I don't carry cash on me. So I don't, I don't have money to give someone. But what I do have, what I do have, what we all have is the ability to give respect, to give respect, York. And to me, I think that's about eye contact. I think that first we have to take the barriers down that these are bad people, that they put themselves in this situation and understand, as you said, my friend, they are people. They are people. You know, York, is there anything you'd like for our listeners to hear before we sign off? Well, first of all, Rob, I really appreciate you having me on. And I, 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 you, know, you have a wonderful organization and I, I always enjoy talking with you. Um, you know, I think one thing that I'd, I'd like to say is that, that people who volunteer and people who give back, um, they also get a lot out of this experience. Sometimes people will say to, to volunteers, oh, you're doing so much to help people. 
And I say, you know, think about it the other way too. When volunteers go down, they see a whole nother way of life. They learn about a whole nother, you know, group of people that they've never talked to. And they realize, wow, these really are people. They're really not that different than you and I. In fact, they're, they're, they're not different in many ways. And so I really encourage people to think about volunteering and realizing how much they're going to get out of it, um, as well as giving back to the community. Yeah, York, you, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I say it all the time. You know, not everybody has money to donate to organizations. And by the way, you got a couple bucks in your pocket, go to the urbanhungerproject.org and donate. You know, let me tell you, it, it, it truly would help out. You know, it's going to a good cause. 100% of this is going to the mission of volunteer-ran organization. Um, we need to be supporting it. But I will say to you, um, not everybody has money. You know, but the one thing that each and every one of us have, the most valuable thing that each and every one of us have, no matter what, we all have time. We have time. And with that time, you take it and invest it. And what do you invest it in? The thing that will grow your future tomorrow, your community. It's simple as that. Invest it into your community. And I promise you, I promise you, you will reap the benefits tomorrow. Listen, everyone, this is another exciting episode of Fostering Change. I'm so excited for my friend York to be a part of this episode. And again, you can go to the urbanhungerproject.org and get involved. And if you're not able to do it, get involved in your community, wherever you are living, get involved because the person you help today could actually be the person you're standing next to tomorrow. Have a great day. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for listening or watching the latest episode of Fostering Change. All of us on our team hope that you've learned something new today and have been inspired to be a good human. Now, just a reminder that you can always find Fostering Change on your favorite channels on Google, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and others including, of course, comfortcases.org. I want to give a big thank you to all of you for joining us each and every week. And a reminder that if you have a suggestion for a guest, or maybe you might have a question about today's podcast, or are interested in becoming a sponsor of Fostering Change, please don't hesitate to email me personally at fosteringchange at comfortcases.org. Now, that's it for now. Thanks again, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Take care.